You can't live without faith. We can define faith here as hope or expectation, maybe even a certain trust. Whether you realize it or not, there's a certain aspect of faith that has brought you here this morning. Allow me to do a little exercise with you to show you what I mean. Let's begin with last night. Last night, for those of you who aren't morning people, you probably set an alarm so you could get here in the morning. You set an alarm and you had faith that that alarm would wake you up. Or you had faith that it takes five snoozes for you to finally get up. But you know that number and you knew that you were going to get up. When you were getting ready for bed, you had faith that you were going to wake up in the morning. Otherwise, your bedtime routine would probably have looked a little different than whatever it was you did last night. You set your alarm having faith in your ability to get yourself ready in a certain time and to still make it to church or Sunday school on time. You went through your morning routine and, and you got ready for church. You grabbed your keys having faith that no one misplaced your keys and that your keys would cause your car to work. You had faith in that little needle in your on your car that said you had enough gas to get to church this morning. You had faith that the normal route you take to church wasn't washed out by last night's rain, and you could still take the normal way to church. You had faith that today would indeed be Sunday, and that there would be a service today, and that coming to church, the church building would still be here for you. And you had faith that other people would show up so it's not just you and the pastor. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? You believe that coming to church would be a benefit for you in some way, shape, or form. Otherwise, there's other places you would rather be. You had faith that your Sunday school teacher would be here, that there would be fresh coffee, and that the building would still be standing. You had faith that somebody was going to be bringing a message during the church service, and that somebody wasn't you. You had faith that everything would be normal this Sunday morning. It's a lot of faith. Faith is important. In fact, it's crucial to our everyday lives. I read an article that explained five reasons why faith is so crucial to everyday life. It's faith's focused power breeds abundance was the first one. And whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger and faith helps you to discover your purpose in life. Faith trumps stress, anxiety, and fear and faith acts as the pathway to finding solutions. Sounds pretty important, doesn't it? The only problem is that we still have no idea what exactly this faith is. It could be just about anything. We haven't defined it yet. It's way too vague. When we look at this idea of being saved by faith, we have to define what we mean by faith. It's not just a simple trust in your gas tank. Having a faith isn't going to save you. Everyone has a faith in something. I've given you numerous examples this morning. So what does it mean to have saving faith? Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17, as we see in verses 11 through 19. And again, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able to. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11, reading in Jesus' name. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. 
and he fell on his face at his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth, that you would help us to see this faith that you described for us in your word. Open up our hearts and minds and our ears to receive the message that you have for us today. And help us, Lord, to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our text starts out with ten guys who are in a bad state. They're lepers. Leprosy is a bacterial infection that attacked their nerves. So they, they couldn't feel things in the edge of their fingers. They had hurt themselves and not even know that they hurt themselves. People didn't know what to do with this disease. And they certainly didn't want it to spread to them, so instead they expelled lepers from the community. They were forced to live among other lepers, away from everybody else. So we see here this group of unfortunate lepers outside the village that Jesus is about to enter. And they see Jesus approaching, but being legally bound from touching anybody else, they stand off at a distance and they raise their voices together to try to get Jesus' attention. And they call out to him, Jesus, Master, mercy us. Their call to Jesus reveals something about these lepers. These lepers know who Jesus is. They recognize him. And though they have, may have asked every person who has passed by them before and asked them for mercy, here in this passage, we see them asking Jesus for mercy. And they call out to Jesus and they identify him as Master, Master of what? Master of their poor souls? Master of healing? Master of their very lives? Master over all? We aren't given exact detail here, but suffice it to say that these lepers recognize the importance of Jesus. They know who he is, and they know that he indeed is their master. These lepers also reveal what they believe about themselves. What is it that these people are crying out for? Are they asking for money? Are they asking for food? Are they asking for a roof over their heads or a better life? No. They're simply asking for Christ to show his mercy. And they leave it in his hands. However, Jesus sees fit to mercy them or to dish out his mercy upon them would be fine with them. They recognize that they've earned nothing, that they deserve nothing. They aren't asking for wages or alms. They're not asking for Jesus to do a good work. They're asking for mercy. Jesus could have walked right past these guys and completely ignored them and have done absolutely nothing wrong. He owed them nothing, and they realized that. Asking Jesus for mercy shows these men aren't hanging on to anything of themselves. They don't have any faith in themselves. They aren't seen pointing back to their own records of goodness or why they don't deserve to have this illness. They aren't looking back to the faith of their parents or how they were raised. They aren't pointing out to Jesus how they've tried to live a pure and holy life. And they don't start describing all the ways they've managed to not give in to certain sins. No, they simply recognize what they deserve. But knowing that Jesus is master, knowing that Jesus is Lord, they make their request to Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on us. And will he show them 
mercy? Will he show these outcasts mercy? Will he show these lepers mercy? These people who were written off as good as dead, these unclean souls, they recognize they have nothing to bring to the table, so to speak, just their desperate need for mercy. And so they plead, Jesus, Master, mercy us. These lepers recognize their own helplessness. There's nothing that they could do to fix themselves or heal themselves. It was completely out of their control. But it wasn't out of Jesus' control. He was and is the master of all. How often do we fool ourselves into thinking that by some stretch of the imagination, we're the master of our own lives, that we can handle whatever it is that's handed our way? For whatever reason, we don't need help in dealing with our sin or in dealing with our guilt or maybe even our own sicknesses. Or if we just try harder, if we just white-knuckle our way to resisting temptation, or if we simply work ourselves to the point of exhaustion, trying to love and serve our neighbors as ourselves, we tell ourselves, then that would be enough. I was listening to the radio earlier this week and hearing how God only wants you to do your best, and you are enough. I was thinking to myself, yes, God wants us to do our best, but even our best isn't enough. Even our best falls short. And rather than be po being pointed to your best and resting at the end of the day, putting your feet up and said, I've done everything I can, how much more comforting it is to know that Christ is enough and to rest in Christ and Christ alone and to be standing on these same legs as these lepers crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me, I can't do it. It's the very reason why we've gathered here together this morning, isn't it? We approach the throne of God's grace and say, Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Saving faith looks not at what we can do, but it looks to Jesus, and it boldly pleads for mercy. Will Christ have mercy? And how can we know? In other passages of Scripture, Jesus applies some salve or some balm or some touch, and he tells people, sick people, that they've been healed. He doesn't do that here, though. I'm sure the lepers would have appreciated something tangible, something they could point to or they could hold on to or grasp or some point in their lives where they could go back and they could say, it was right then, right there, when this happened, that I was healed, that Christ healed me of my leprosy. But these lepers aren't given any of those things. Instead, Jesus has them do something else. What does the text say? Jesus responds to these lepers in verse 14. He tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Show yourselves to the priests? What good was that going to do them? They already knew that they were unclean. They already knew they weren't supposed to be in the presence of these priests. Couldn't Jesus have just rubbed a little mud on them or given them a high five or tell them to wash with a special kind of soap? But instead, Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priests. Luke keeps the narrative going and he adds his commentary here. He says, and as they were going, they were cleansed. They were cleansed as they were going. How? How were these lepers cleansed? Was it because they went for a walk and there was something special in the air that day? What was it that cured these lepers? And the answer is obviously Christ. Christ was the one who had cleansed them. 
He cleansed them through his word and, and the faith that was created in these lepers. He, Jesus doesn't need to reach out and touch them. He doesn't need to speak, be healed to heal them. But Christ healed them. This isn't the power of positive thinking, of them moving on their way to the priest thinking, well, if I show myself to the priest, I'm going to be better. Boy, I feel better already. That's not what it's talked about here. That wasn't what healed these guys. It wasn't a positive outlook on life. They were unclean, yet they trusted that Christ knew what he was doing when he told them to go and show themselves to the priests. And so in obedience to Christ, they listened and obeyed. And they were healed by Christ, the master of all. And in a very tangible way, they were given the answer to their question, would Christ have mercy on me, the leper, the outcast, the unclean one? And the answer here is a resounding yes. The apostles were accompanying Jesus on this journey. And earlier in verse 5, they're, they're given a, a shocking picture as to how far the mercy of Christ extends. Well, here in our text, in verse 16, one of the ten comes back to glorify God and fall at Jesus' feet. And what does Luke say about this man? How does he describe this leper? He was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. An enemy of the Jews. Jews and Samaritans weren't supposed to cross paths. It was a racial divide not meant to be crossed. But the mercy of God shatters this divide. And the mercy of Jesus extends even to this leprous Samaritan. And this man is healed. These apostles had just pleaded with Jesus in verse 5 to increase their faith. Can Jesus' mercy reach the apostles? Can Jesus' mercy reach the unclean? Can Jesus' mercy reach even the Samaritan? And they see here, not only can it, but it does. Surely Christ's mercy reaches you too this morning. And you can be sure because God's word says that Christ doesn't change. You can be sure because God's word says that his mercies are new every morning. You can be sure because of trust in God's word. And God's word says that Christ has come to call sinners to himself. Because Christ's word also says that he has paid the penalty of all sin. If you find yourself in a place where you recognize your sin, whatever it is, and you approach the throne of God with these same words as these lepers saying, Christ, have mercy. His word reveals to us that we receive mercy. The author of the Hebrews encourages us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We trust God's word and we call out to Christ, Christ, have mercy on me, the sinner. And God's word shows us the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. So when doubts arise, look again to God's word and trust it. It's written there for you to believe that you may know that you are saved and you may have faith in Christ, in Christ alone. When the Samaritan comes back to worship Jesus, Jesus asks him a simple question. Weren't there ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Is this foreigner the only one who's returned to give glory to God? Jesus had healed all ten of these lepers, but for some unknown reason, 
Just this one comes back to praise God for what Christ has done for him. It should have been all ten. These lepers were given back their lives. They were welcomed back into the community. They would have been able to hug their family members again. They would have been able to work with their hands again. They were no longer outcasts. Perhaps they were so excited to have their old lives back that they simply just forgot to worship God. Or maybe they would do so after they showed themselves to the priests. Scripture doesn't say, so we can't say anything definitively. But here we see that this Samaritan's faith was fulfilled. That this Samaritan's faith had reached its goal. He returns to Jesus and he gives him praise. The account of this event ends with Jesus telling this man to rise up and go on his way. That his faith had cured him. That his faith had made him well. This word that Jesus uses to describe is a moment in the past that had lasting significance to this day. That it wasn't just a faith in a moment that happened, but it was a continual lasting faith in Christ. And this faith had made him well. It not only had cured his leprosy, but it had also cured his soul and healed his soul. That he trusted in Christ for salvation. Then he trusted God's word, even when he looked at his fingers and said, I have leprosy. How can walking, showing myself to the priests heal me? He trusted God's word, and he acted obediently in faith. And he comes back to Christ, giving praise to God. When we talk about saving faith, this is what it looks like. Saving faith looks to Jesus for mercy. It causes us to recognize that we have no bargaining chips to bring to the table when it comes to salvation. That we come guilty of sin, deserving of death. As we've confessed earlier this morning, that we poor sinners confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. And so we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring his grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saving faith comes before the Lord, pleading for mercy, acknowledging who we are and acknowledging who Christ is. Saving faith believes God's word, even when our sight, our thoughts, our feelings, and our circumstances seem to tell us something else, seem to tell us that there is no hope. We cling to the promises of Scripture, and we believe God's word. We believe in that finished work of Christ, we believe that God does not lie and that his word is true. And so we hold on to his word. And that belief caused these lepers to show themselves to the priests. And that belief moves us into action as well to obey what Christ has commanded. But it also has us coming back to Jesus to give him honor and praise and glory, which he deserves. But it also keeps us coming back to Christ again and again and again, acknowledging each and every day how much we need his mercy. It has us clinging to the promises of God's word, promises that we can hold on to regardless of our circumstances as we trust in what Christ has done for us. This faith is in Christ alone and not in ourselves, but faith in God's word. And this is the faith that saves you and keeps you, not in our circumstances, but this faith that has us continually coming back to Christ. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who continues to believe in Christ Jesus from this moment on is saved and has 
eternal life. This is the faith that makes us well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your word and in its truth. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word, that you have given us promises in your word to hold on to, that you have revealed to us all of the things that you have done to save us from our sins, Lord, to save us from ourselves as well, all the things you have done to give us eternal life. And Father, we pray that you would help us to believe your word each and every day, to cling fast to that word, especially when everything around us tells us to abandon our faith, to abandon you. Help us, Lord, to come back to you and to see all the things that you have provided for us and to come back to you, giving you the proper worship and praise that you deserve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.